Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's peanut butter cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's peanut butter cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you. Found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Hey, hey. this is Allie Ward here with Ologies. Now a few things up, up top. Um, if you like Ologies, I personally, myself, would love it. If you took a second to rate and or review it on iTunes. Have you done that yet? It doesn't cost any money. You just do it. This week, we were in the top 20 of science podcasts, which gets the show seen by so many people. It was nestled between literally four shows about ghost crimes, which is like, okay. But I think the ologists I've gotten to talk to deserve to be heard, and I would love to see ologies climb up. And I also totally read all of your reviews. I'm thrilled by them. Today, someone named Smileness, there are six S's in that, said, the actual best. Yep, the actual best. When things get all jargony, Allie fills in the gaps. Great guests, great topics, and a genuinely lovable host. Which, by the way, I read that while walking into the post office, and I almost um, started crying or skipping. So thank you, everyone, for these. When you leave reviews and you rate it, um, other people say, hey, what's this thing? Now, cosmology part two. If you listen to the very, very end of part one last week with the just phenomenal Dr. Katie Mack, aka Astro Katie, then you learned a lot about particle physics and the large hard-on collider, uh, mm, string cheese, black holes, the world's most expensive selfie, and your own aching insignificance. All of ours. If you haven't listened Give it a go. Um, I also tell you a somewhat embarrassing secret at the very end of the podcast. Maybe I'll do that again. So part two with Dr. Mac means getting right into the nitty gritty, your questions. And trust me, I had a million. Um, but Katie and I were late to meet up with friends to uh, see Murder on the Orient Express. So I could only ask about half an hour's worth of questions. So I may have to nab her in the future to ask the rest because there's so many good questions. so many questions for okay. you. It's like a rapid fire round. Sure. Yeah. I'm just going to throw. I'm, I'm here for it. Okay. I'm going to throw I'm a bunch down. of questions at you. If All you right. want to skip any of them, you can just pass. First questions I'm going to ask are from the Patreon page. Okay. So if people yeah. are patrons. Yeah, uh, we appreciate them very much. They're great people. They are great They're people. They're fantastic. <laughs> and we, we want them to continue and ask lots of questions, yes. which are all very good questions. Yes, exactly. Yes. You can be a patron for 25 cents an episode. So. Which is a, it's an amazing deal. Isn't that a good yeah. deal? 
people should totally it, do that. I yeah. wanted to make it accessible. Yeah. If you did feel like tossing a dollar a month to keep this podcast continuing free of obnoxious ads, then get yourself over to patreon.com slash ologies. I post calls for questions, some behind the scene photos, or some patron only videos. And for $25 a month, I'll be your emergency contact, which I hope you never need. And also I, I may not be reliable. So for a dollar a month, your questions get bumped to the top. Um, this is a question, I'm just going to say one of the questions, but three different people asked a variation of it. Aaron Herdman and Alex Introini. Introini? Alex? Did I do that right? I'm sorry. Both wanted to know, is there a name for the disorientation and panic one feels when considering the vastness of the universe? Uh, also, do you know of a way to get past it? There is a name. Um, so so well, there are a couple of names. Uh, one is Cosmic Vertigo. Okay. And the other is Cosmophobia. And oh um, I don't know if these are like official names, but these are names that I've heard. Um, there's uh, so a, a f- couple of friends and colleagues of mine have a podcast called Cosmic Vertigo where they, they talk about cosmology and stuff and space and things, um, but it's based on that topic. Um, and Cosmophobia um, I know about because I occasionally get emails from people who say that they have severe cases and want my help. Uh, so it is a thing. Some sometimes people get really, really upset about like the vastness of space, or just like the fact that we have no control over these huge forces. I mean, that is something like I have moments where I'm like, whoa, right? Like, because there yeah. are things like you know, black holes are colliding with each other, and and like the universe is expanding and it's ex- accelerating its, uh, its expansion, and like it's getting bigger and bigger and faster and faster. And like sometimes you know that stuff is really. You know, I mean, you think about your little life and what's going on in, in your day to day, and at the same time, like stars are exploding, and you know, and you and we have we can look at we can look at the Big Bang, like we can actually see the primordial fireball of the Big Bang, like we can see that. How, ladies and gentlemen, Allie Ward, zero chill. The reason is that the Big Bang Theory TV show, mm-hmm. beginning of the of the show. Our and nearly 14 billion years ago, expansion started. Anyway, that's the Big Bang Theory. That is an ex- that's a very good explanation of the Big Bang Theory. Thank you, Bare Naked Ladies, which is the first and maybe the only time I'm going to say that sentence. It all started with the Big Bang. The whole universe was hot and dense and smaller than it is now. Um, so the Big Bang Theory is just the idea that the universe in the past was smaller and denser and hotter than it is now. And so if you kind of dial back the current expansion of the universe then you get to a, to the universe being very, very small and dense and hot. And so every point in the universe now was at some point much hotter and filled with, like, radiation, right? So, like, this part of the universe now in the very distant past was full of radiation and very hot and very dense, right? But so when we look out into other parts of the universe, because light takes time to travel – Everywhere, every time we look farther away, we're looking farther into the past. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at that part of the universe as it was maybe a billion years ago or five billion years ago or whatever. And there's a part of the universe that's so distant that when we look at it, we're looking at it as it, as it was during the time what? when it was still on fire. What? Right? So, so we look, as we look into the distance in any direction, we're seeing that part of the universe as it was when it was still in that primordial fireball kind of state. Which was how long ago? 
It was well. That was in, that was around the so the fireball started to cool around three hundred eighty thousand years after the Big Bang, whatever okay. or the, after the moment of the beginning, whatever you call that. Because mm-hmm. um, this is that's still part of the hot Big Bang, which is like the the hot phase. So we can actually see radiation coming from every direction in the sky. Uh, that is the radiation of that heat, like that that radiation from that early time just reaching us now from really distant parts of the universe and so we can look at it and we're looking at like the the fireball universe we're looking at that primordial plasma i just got and so like we see the big bang yeah yeah and so like we know that it happened because we can see it we can watch it right we can actually see parts of the universe that are still uh, still there as far as we're concerned and that can give you cosmic vertigo yeah yeah (laughs) just like just like thinking about like you know that was a that was a big important event and like so this sort of like nice gentle stable universe is not (laughs) that's not how it always was and we don't know you know we think that most cosmologists think at the beginning of the universe before that hot phase there was a period of very rapid expansion of the universe um called inflation we don't know why that started we don't know why that ended we don't know that that couldn't just start happening again right here right now um there are theories of the <laughs> there are theories where you could have you could have the universe like end right here right now in this room <laughs> oh god oh god <laughs> so this is an idea called vacuum decay where you can have, you can have like the universe like have a quantum event happen where one point in the universe like transitions to this other state it's called another vacuum a, a true vacuum state and that would create this bubble of like death again bubble, bubble of, of death, death. that <laughs> expands out at the speed of light in every direction <laughs> so you would never see it coming that sucks and it's a probabilistic <laughs> event it's a quantum event so it could happen at any moment <laughs> It probably won't. Oh, God. You know, it probably, probably we're just wrong about the theory. And even if we weren't wrong about the theory, like the, the sort of time scale that we calculate for it, it would probably take like, you know, trillions of years or something. But like, it's a probabilistic event. It could happen at any moment, technically. It's just with very low probability. So like that could freak you out. And I've gotten emails from people like they read about that and they're like, I can't sleep. And I'm like, oh, I'm no. sorry. Do you have <laughs> any advice for that? I mean, uh, you know, I tell them like, so they, so about vacuum decay, I can tell them like a few things. One is that we don't know, we don't have any, we don't know for sure that, that this is even possible. Mm-hmm. Um, if it were possible, it probably would have happened in the very beginning of the universe because the conditions for it happening then were much more favorable. So it probably would have already happened if it was going to happen already or if it, was, if it was possible at all. And then I say, well, if, it, if it's going to like you... There's nothing you can do. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, like it's a, it's traveling at the speed of light. You won't even see it coming. That's the best way to die. Yeah, you won't. I mean, you won't notice. Like, basically, like, like so it, it is absolutely the best because you don't see it coming. So you can't be scared of it. Yeah. You don't even really notice it because it's happening at the speed of light. Um, and you're not, like, around afterward. And everyone nothing is around. Love, yeah, everyone you love dies at the same time. Yeah, everything dies. Everything's gone immediately. Like at the same time, there's no, there's no FOMO, right? There's nothing. You're not missing out on anything because the whole universe is done now, right? Like, and so it's kind of, in some sense, it's like really inconsequential because there's like no consequences of it. It's yeah. Just, so it doesn't matter. Like I you could go just out blink, like that. you know, and then like, like you know, you blink and like maybe you open your eyes again. Maybe you're consumed by a vacuum bubble of death but like who cares like who you don't know 
I if I could vote on a way for everything to end, I would be like, oh, totally, yeah, vacuum, yeah. vacuum decay, vacuum decay. Yeah, that's gonna be my platform. It's, I'm gonna run yeah. for 2020 <laughs> vacuum decay as my platform. It is the best way to end the universe. Okay, so that's yeah. one way to chill out. Yeah. Uh, Paula Herrera wants to know, <laughs> how scared should we be of a giant asteroid destroying Earth? Um, are any of the sci-fi movie methods to save the planet plausible, or are we basically doomed should an asteroid oh. come our way? Yeah, that's that's a little bit of a sadder point. Because, like, okay, so we're basically not really monitoring about half the sky right oh. now. What? Okay, no big deal. No big deal. Because we used to have some monitoring stations in the Southern Hemisphere, and they lost funding. Oh, so God. So we don't have as good a handle on, like, the number of, of objects out there that could cause really big problems. There, There is, like, we have, there's some kind of, like, goals about how many, um, like, what fraction of objects above a certain size we should be you know, aware of, right? And it's like, you're supposed to see 90% of objects above some size or whatever, and we're not really there. Oh, no. So I think there are programs being put together now, and there's there's efforts to, to have a better catalog. Um, it's not like we're due for a giant, you know, impact or anything. Like, it's you know, these are still things that are probably not going to happen anytime soon, but... But I, I can't honestly tell tell you that like we're on top of it. Wow. Like we, we have, you know we're monitoring a lot, but we're not monitoring enough to say that like we definitely don't have anything oh, <laughs> coming geez. in. So okay, so whether or not we could stop it, like mm-hmm. okay, so there's there are a couple of methods. Um if we find out about it early enough, like five years ahead, ten years ahead then there's a possibility of sending a spacecraft to it and changing the course of it in some way. Um, you don't want to just blow it up partially because some of these things are like kind of loose rubble piles. And so it wouldn't really work to try to blow it up. Um, but also because like if you have a huge asteroid and then you blow it up, then you have like a bunch of smaller asteroids and that's not always better. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, there are there are a bunch of really cool ideas for just b- nudging it a little bit, and if you find out about it long enough in the you know before it comes, then you don't have to nudge it very far at all to get it totally off course. It'll miss the Earth. Um, so, like one of them is to take a really really massive spacecraft and just like park it next to the asteroid in the orbit for a while, and so then it gets like pulled a little bit by the gravity of the spacecraft and that oh. can if you get it early enough that's called a gravitational tractor um <laughs> yeah if you get it early enough that can work um there are other ideas about like ma- creating like a giant sack and like um like capturing it in a sack because you can't necessarily it's not necessarily like a solid thing how are you going to make a bag big enough to put around an asteroid? But, I mean, it depends on the size of the asteroid, right? But I mean, I don't know. Like, what is these that are... made out of? Like mylar? Uh, on tape? I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm a little activated by this. I looked up asteroid bags. I was distracted for a few minutes on some galaxy printed totes and duffels. And I was like, oh, that's nice. And then, okay, I realized that space people call these capture bags. Like, it's just no big deal. Like, just used to collect fallen leaves or a dog doodle. But NASA introduced a plan a few years ago, and I asked the search engine gods what the bag might be made of. And I found out it could be inflatable, could be metal mesh, 
or could just be high-strength material. Sounds like they're figuring that out, too. My guess is it's just a very large blue Ikea bag. Tow that fucker in. Those things are strong. There's another idea, which is even, which is also really cool, where you like spray, spray paint half of the um, object so that it changes like the re- reflectivity. Uh-huh. And then that means that like the solar wind will push a little bit more on one half <gasps> than the other in some way. And that can change the trajectory. So there are a couple of possibilities. Those are some good options. Yeah. Yeah. But you need a lot of lead time and um, a lot of paint and a really big bag. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. I just can't believe that we're kind of sleeping on the job there. I mean, it's like we're not. I mean, there are people there's a lot of a lot of these things are being monitored and there's nothing that we know about that's anytime soon coming as a threat. But there's also like we're not we're not fully on top of this in the way that I feel like we should be. Oh, man. Good to know. Yeah. Um, Russell Kelly wants to know, will the universe expand forever or will it eventually collapse in on itself? That is a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, based on our current understanding and the data that we have now, it looks like it will expand forever, which will lead to something called the heat death, which is the most depressing way for the universe to end, uh, which is that like that we have dark energy. Dark energy is whatever is making the universe expand faster and faster. If it's a cosmological constant, which is just a kind of dark energy that first invented by Einstein, but it seems to be the case, um, then what will happen is that over time, um, the other galaxies will get farther and farther away. Uh, not Andromeda. The Andromeda galaxy is coming for us now. Mm-hmm. It's on its way. It's going to collide with the Milky Way in about 4 billion years. Okay. That'll be fine. Whatever. Um, but then, you know, the more distant galaxies will just get farther and farther away. And eventually we won't be able to see any other galaxies outside of our little local group. This is like when all your friends grow up and move out to the suburbs or like get rich and go to Santa Monica. And then, you know, we won't be able to see, like, the cosmic microwave background anymore, that that afterglow of the Big Bang. It'll, so the universe will just get really, really dark and really empty. And then our our little group of galaxies will kind of be combined into one big blob. Um, but eventually, like, all the stars will burn out because they'll run out of fuel and there's no more, like, gas coming in to make new stars from mm-hmm. other galaxies. So the stars will burn out and then, like, a bunch of things will collapse into black holes and the black holes will evaporate. And, like, the protons will decay and, like, everything will just kind of, like, decay into nothingness. And, then and like, there will be this, like, there'll be this really empty, cold, dark universe with nothing in it. And oh. no, like, and just, like, this tiny amount of radiation and no ability for any new structures to form. Except oh. maybe through some kind of quantum process, which is kind of a cool thing, but this is another topic. That's so goddamn lonely. Yeah. Yeah, it's called the heat death. So what happens when the Andromeda galaxy collides with the Milky Way, though? <laughs> you glazed right over that. What the hell is that about? That's really cool, actually. So the Andromeda galaxy is a spiral galaxy like our own. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, got about, it's got about a trillion stars. Um, it's more massive than the Milky Way. And it's got a supermassive black hole. And they're all coming toward us um, at uh, something like, I think it was like uh, 100 kilometers a second. Um, <laughs> anyway, they're all, they're all coming toward us right now. And um, is it going to smishy smash? Yeah, it's going to, it's going to come. And in about 4 billion years, it'll get here and it'll, um, it'll collide with the Milky Way galaxy. And the way that galaxies collide is kind of cool. They like sort of merge and like they make these long trails of stars coming out and it'll be this sort of like really, spectacular light show of like gas will collide and make new stars and there'll be this burst of star formation and the the black holes might like turn on and start 
like pulling in matter and oh like getting God. really bright and stars will be flung out into space and on these long tails. This sounds like a warehouse space rave. I'm not going to lie. I'd be down for this. But because galaxies, because there is so much space between stars in galaxies, probably our solar system will not be affected. Okay. Like probably we'll just like this, the sky will get really interesting, but you know, it'll also be 4 billion years from now. So the sun will be burning out and you know, the earth will already have its oceans boiled away and life on earth will be impossible. But if, you know, we left something here to take pictures, they would be really pretty. Allergies with Allie Ward is sponsored by Claritin. So luckily, for those that live with the symptoms of allergies, you can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This is designed for serious allergy sufferers, and Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It's this double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available. Relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease just boom down the hatch you can get non-drowsy relief of allergy symptoms and with claritin d you can still make the most of your day without compromise or looking like you've been crying are you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies it's time to live claritin clear your pod mother jarrett terrible allergies and was recently shooting an indie movie that was filming in a house that had seven cats guess who's allergic to cats him so yeah we always have claritin in like each of our cars essentially claritin d is the third in our relationship. It's fast and powerful relief. It's just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. And y'all know I have a little dog named Grammy, which is short for Gremlin. And y'all help me name her. And there's nothing that we like more than seeing her happy, which means tasty dog foods. And Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. They were founded in Hereford, Texas. But Grammy doesn't care about that. She cares about smushing her face in it and then licking the bowl. And I don't blame her because they use real ingredients and home-style recipes like real Texas beef and sweet potato or Grammy's pot pie. Grammy's like, Grammy's pot pie. Get away from it. It's mine. I also like that on the bag, they show what's in it. And they always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. And I think Remy appreciates that. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Yum, 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 yum. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kid busy. Kiwi goes like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids
kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages, everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages nine to 14, an entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Mike uh, Melchior wants to know, are Uranus jokes still funny? It's really Uranus, isn't it? Uh, So actually, I don't know which is a better pronunciation. I usually say Uranus just because I don't want to I don't want to deal with it. But then it's got the name urine in it, too. So like it doesn't really help. Um, no, they're not, they're not particularly funny. Okay, good, no, just checking. No. So I use an AI for transcription for this podcast, and it transcribed to you're an ass. And I'm sorry, but yes, that is funny. Megan Gerard wants to know, um, slightly more on a local practical level, she loves stargazing, but even in a small city, it's hard to do because of light pollution. Yes. So can you recommend any tactics, resources, organizations for helping reduce light pollution? Oh. Um also, she thinks maybe light pollution is bad for us and animals. It is, yeah. And um, yeah. so, good way to stargaze and good way to reduce light pollution. So there are there are national organizations for like dark skies. I don't remember the names, but if you if you look them up, there's they have um, there are charities that that their whole purpose is to try to get better lighting in cities so that more more of the light goes down and not up, mm. and um, changing like what the lamps are made of and stuff like that. Um, so you can get involved in these campaigns and, um, they're really, they're really, uh, helpful. Um, yeah, I can't remember the name of the organizations right now, but, but there are a few of them out there. Darksky.org has a bunch of information on getting involved in dark sky advocacy and membership in this kind of a dark sky club. So hit that up. I will try to do my part and stop falling asleep with the lights on. I fell asleep with them on again last night, but tonight, tonight's a night. International Dark Sky Association. I'm 
going to do my part. If you want to go stargazing and your city's too bright, you just have to go somewhere else, basically. <laughs> um, so when I was living here, in, when I was growing up in, in LA, in Long Beach, um, I was part of the LA Astronomical Society, and they would have dark sky star, star parties where we would drive like four hours into the mountains, and it would be really dark yeah. there. So you don't have to get that far out of the out of city to, to do good stargazing. So getting the fuck out of Dodge. Yes. Got yeah. it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. There's there's a really great film called uh, The City Dark, um, which is about um, it's about light pollution and what it does to us and what it does to astronomy. And I, I'd Ooh. recommend checking that out. I fell asleep with the lights on last night. Oh, it's not good for your brain. For you. No. And now this set of questions comes from the Facebook group. There's okay. an Ologies podcast Facebook group. Yes. They get next crack at questions. Isabel Lorian wants to know what do you think the shape of the universe is? Hyperbolic, toroid. What do you think? Did I sell? Did I say toroid? Okay, you said toroid. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> toroidal is the adjective. Okay, uh, but yeah, it's uh, so a toroid. It's a, a, a torus is a donut shape. Oh, that's all. What? That's what. That's all she's saying. Yeah. So a toroid cake would be a donut. Yes. Damn. Yes. I went my whole life not knowing this somehow, but also a torus apparently technically would be like an inner tube, hollow, and a solid torus is a donut. But I want to say I was on a dessert show called Unique Sweets for like a lot of seasons. I have to say a cake donut seems like a solid Taurus, but if it's a fluffier yeast donut, there's all kinds of air pockets in there and the volume and density seems somewhere between a Taurus and a solid Taurus. And I need a physicist to get on this for me. Thank you. Okay. Oh, yeah. Back to the shape of the universe. The universe... The, the, the way she's asking the question, the answer is the universe is probably flat. Okay. Which just means, um, it just means that there's no large scale curvature to the universe. So I said that matter curves space. Mm -hmm. um, so you get these like dents in space. On the very large scales, the space is flat in the sense that it's not large scale curved. It's still probably three dimensional. I mean, the space part is three dimensional and then there's time. That's a fourth dimension. But, um, you know, it's, it's flat in the sense that if you had two beams of light that were parallel, they would stay parallel forever. Okay. That, that seems to be the case, at least as far as we can measure, there could be some larger scale curvature that we don't measure because it's just so big. Like if, if you have a a ball that's big enough it looks flat like the surface of the earth looks flat um mm -hmm. but um but the universe on the whole as far as we know appears to be flat there's no evidence for curvature but it could be curved around on some really large scale okay we'll yeah. find out in yeah. before the stars all collapse on themselves hopefully maybe, uh, maybe <laughs> not. i don't know i don't know TJ King and Lori March both had kind of the same question. Um, is there a reason why some stars appear to twinkle more than others? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, so stars appear to twinkle when you're looking through the atmosphere because the atmosphere um, is bending the light a little bit just by being like a little bit hotter, a little bit wetter or something in different parts. And so when you look through that, that sort of, you know, um, messy uh, air, um, it makes the position of the star move around a little bit um, from your perspective. And that means that sometimes it'll look a little bit brighter and sometimes it'll look a little bit dimmer and that makes the twinkling. Um, so the brighter a star is, uh, sometimes that makes it look less twinkly or, or more. Or it depends on kind of what the air is doing. Um, but planets don't twinkle. Why not? 
So the reason planets don't twinkle is because so the the re- the, the twinkling of a star comes from the fact that um, we uh, like it's it's just a point of light from our perspective. It's just a single point of light, and so it can be moved around, and that little point of light can be sort of um, magnified a little bit, and that makes it look brighter or, or less. But a planet is a disk of light from our perspective. It's a really, really small disk, but it's a, it's a disk of light that's big enough that the little, the little sort of, um, uh, turbulence cells or whatever in the atmosphere, um, only like just move the light around within the disk mostly. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't get significantly brighter or dimmer because the, um, the, the mo- motion of the air is not enough to, to really change the, the sort of size and shape of that disk. So if it twinkles, you got a star. If it doesn't twinkle, you got a planet. More or less, roughly. Yeah, yeah more or oh, less. So, so if you see something pretty bright in the sky and it's not twinkling, and other things are, then you're probably seeing a planet, and they're probably seeing Jupiter, Saturn, Mars, or Venus. That's so great. Yeah. If you and if that does happen, and it's the first time you've heard this, then you should high five Katie on Twitter. <laughs> Lauren Oaks wants to know what is the deal with other dimensions. This might not be the right person to ask, but I still want to know. Okay, um, so we have three dimensions of space. Mm-hmm. So that's forward, backward, left, right, up and down. Um, we also consider time to be a dimension. Uh, so when you think about things like relativity, you have to include time as like part of your coordinate grid, basically. And so that coordinate grid has to have four dimensions. So the time is the fourth dimension. And, and the reason for that is that, um, you know, space and time can kind of affect each other. Like like things like moving through space at a higher speed changes the way you move through time. Um, and when you're close to a gravitating object, that changes the way you move through time. And so it has to be part of the same sort of malleable fabric in some mathematical sense. Um, there could be higher, there could be other dimensions of space. Um, and that we just can't interact with. We can't see, we can't perceive and in some cases, those uh, other dimensions of space might be kind of wrapped around themselves. Okay. Which is a weird concept, but yeah. it's kind of like if you imagine like, like if you imagine a string, right? Mm-hmm. A string is a three-dimensional object. Two of those dimensions are kind of wrapped around mm-hmm. um, really tight. So it only has a little bit, a little direction you can go in two of the dimensions. You can go a really long way in the other one. Mm-hmm. And so it might be that in space, in our universe... We can go as far as we want in our three dimensions, but the other dimensions are so small that we don't notice them because they're all wrapped up. And one of the reasons that those extra dimensions are hypothesized is that it might be that all of our sort of particle interactions and stuff can only happen in this three-dimensional space, but gravity can leak out into the other ones a little bit. And so if that were happening, that would explain why gravity is so weak compared to all the other forces. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a hypothesis, you know. So there could be other dimensions that might solve that problem. But um, what about multiverses? And is there another me with a right. better life living <laughs> in a different dimension? Uh, so, so, that, so when people say dimension in that sense, they just mean another universe. Um, mm-hmm. The dimensionality, like the dimension doesn't mean space anymore. It means something else. Um, so there could be other universes, depending on how you define a universe. Because you could just define a universe to be everything, and then everything is part of the universe by definition. There can't be a second everything. Yeah. Okay. Um, but you can define a universe as just the observable universe, so what's within our sort of 
the distance out to which we can observe anything, which is a set distance. Um, and then there could be stuff beyond that. We know there's stuff beyond that. So that's kind of outside of our universe. You can think of that as another universe. Mm -hmm. um, and then you can have other universes that are separated by higher dimensions from us. Um, so you can have like, like our, you can imagine our universe as a flat sheet and there's another flat sheet. So mm -hmm. we've just taken one dimension down oh, um, and they could collide maybe. Oh, God. Um, and this is like, there's a theory for, for the big bang that comes from these two sheets collide and that makes a big bang and then they come apart and then they collide again later on. It's called the ekpyrotic model. Whoa. My thesis advisor was one of the people who came up with that. <laughs> Damn. Um, so, so there, and then there are other ways to have other, um, universes, like with the many worlds idea of quantum mechanics, which says that every time a quantum event happens, basically another universe branches out from ours in a way that somehow makes sense mathematically, but sounds ridiculous when you think about it. Is that, that kind of like an alternate reality? Kind of, yeah. Is yeah. there another me in another, in another universe? In another reality, who who brushes her hair more regularly? Well, in the many worlds hypothesis, I guess technically that that would be the case. Um, but uh, so if that's like a rabbit hole that you want to go into, just like start googling. Because in many worlds, like there's another universe where like a photon just went through that window or didn't, and that's the only difference. Oh my god. Oh my right? god. So like every possible thing. Raquel Land wants to know, is there actual scientific proof that there might be life beyond our planet? Aliens. Yes, no. Uh, probably. Okay. So what does Katie hate about her job? What does she hate? So one is the uncertainty of the kind of academic career ladder. Okay. Um, so I spent the last eight years as a postdoc, which means I had my PhD and I was doing research, but I didn't have a permanent job and I didn't know where I was going to go next or how long I would be there or whether or not I would be able to continue in science because it was just, you know, applying for jobs. And, uh, it's just, it's a, it's a difficult thing to be doing. Um, and I, you know, all jobs have some uncertainty at some stage, but I feel like in academia, that uncertainty and that sort of tenuousness lasts a really long time. Yeah. And, um, and if you get to the stage where you're definitely not going to get an academic job and you wanted one, um, then you have spent many years making not very much money when you could have done something more lucrative and, uh, it wouldn't have, you would have been better off in like every way. So, so, you know, I mean, I, I enjoyed, doing the research. And so for me, it was like, well, I'll just keep doing science as long as I can. I enjoy it. I'm willing to make that sacrifice. But for a lot of people, it's just so disruptive and it's so difficult that it's like, it's, it's a really high anxiety time and it's really hard. And a lot of people leave because that, that is just really hard to, to deal with. Um, so that's the main thing. And then the other thing is that like, it's just, it's really easy to have a lot of like self doubt and you have to be very kind of self-driven and it's hard to know if you're doing a good job <laughs> and like it's it's uh academia can be very competitive and you don't get a lot of like positive feedback um and so it, it can be just hard to kind of like keep doing what you're doing and know that you're doing it well or know how to do it well or you know all of that stuff can be difficult 
Which is great that you're a science communicator as well, because you get to get yeah. a lot of feedback from the public, yes. I imagine, right? You know, yeah, I mean, that, and that does help a lot. Like, if if I'm, you know, sitting in my office, banging my head against something <laughs> that, I, that I feel like I really should know this thing, or I really should understand it, or this should come more easily, and then, you know... Um, I feel like I'm a total failure and I don't know anything. And then I go talk to, you know, a room full of school kids and suddenly like, I'm an expert. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, then I feel like I know a lot of things and then I, it, it helps a lot. So yeah, for me, it's, it's made a big difference in like just keeping me from getting too depressed about, you know, not understanding the universe as well as I wanted to. <laughs> what about your favorite thing about the job or cosmology or physics or? Um, my favorite thing is that I get to ponder the deep questions of reality as my job, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and, um, it was most of the topics in this conference were not stuff I work on. Um, so it was like really deep questions about the nature of reality and like whether or not space time is really a thing ah. and how particles really work and all of that. And I was just like... Like, I didn't, I, it's not the area I work in, so there was a, a lot I didn't understand about it, but I could grasp some of it. And I felt like, I just felt so privileged to be able to be in that room and to think about these things and to have some grasp of these huge concepts. Um, and like, I get to, that, that was part of my work, you know? Um, and that, that was just an amazing, that's just, an, every time that happens, it's an amazing feeling that I get to, do these mental exercises and learn about the fundamental properties of the universe. And that's my job. That's um, job. I mean, and you know, I mean, writing the papers and, and teaching and, and all of that stuff is, is also my job. So there's a lot of other aspects to it, but just learning about the universe is a big part of my job. And I love that. That's so baller. Yeah. All right. Thank you for letting me talk to you for so long. I'm so sorry. That's this right. is the longest interview I've ever done because there's too many questions. Okay, let's go to a movie. Okay. Bye. <laughs> so we barely managed the movie, which was a very forgettable mystery romp about a train stuck in the snow, but stellar mustaches. And I will remain forever shooketh by this conversation. I'm glad we took as long as we did. Now, to follow uh, Dr. Mack, you can find her on Twitter or Facebook as Astro Katie or on Instagram at Academic Nomad. And this podcast is at Ologies on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm at Allie Ward on both. And for t-shirts and totes and mugs and to support the podcast while also covering your nude body, go to ologiesmerch.com. And of course, if you like the podcast and want to support, just tell a friend or make a post about it or rate it on iTunes. That's huge. And yeah, I'll give you a secret this week. Um, this week's secret is that I record all this narration in my closet because the sound is pretty good. There's all these clothes to dampen it. But the real nugget here is that I have a, a real laundry situation and uh, about half my body currently sitting on a pile of towels, which I will get to this weekend um, after I obtain some soap. So yeah, I'm podcasting from a laundry nest. I'm like a cozy little woodland rodent talking at you through a machine. Big huge thanks to Stephen Ray Morris, patron saint of podcasts, for editing this episode, and to Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch for all of their help with merch, and Hannah and Aaron for running the Ologies Podcast Facebook group, and the theme song was composed and performed by Nick Thorburn, aka Nick Diamonds, of the band Islands. He's great. Check out his music. Now next week... A little episode on carbohydrates. 
comes out the day after Christmas. So what the hell are they? Why do we like them? And why do our cells wear them like hats? Because they do. A glycobiologist spills the starch beans. Until then, ask smart people all the dumb questions you want. The universe is big, and regret is maybe the scariest thing there is. Okay, bye bye When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.